This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. Disorder in the court. It is sometimes said that the hardest thing that habitual liars have to do is to remember the lies they have already told. Lives that are based on lies tend to spin out of control very quickly. The same thing can be said of the legal system that abandons absolute truth. Being consistent is difficult when there is no point upon which legal decisions can be grounded. That is the difficulty that faces the Supreme Court today. As the court becomes more political, it abandons the legal framework that sets it apart from the executive and legislative branches. The term, which just ended, presents a court running about in ideological confusion. Traditionalists can breathe a sigh of relief at the court's support of the little sisters of the poor. However, other decisions clearly demonstrate the chaos of modern jurisprudence. This episode of Return to Order Moment contrasts what the court should be with what it has become. First, Mr. John Horvath II explores the purpose of the court in his article, Appealing to a Higher Law is the Only Way Out of Our Constitutional Crisis. Among our decaying institutions, law has now entered into a new phase that creates dilemmas for peaceful citizens. Conservatives have long revered the rule of law as a source of order. They have opposed the radical left that desires to overthrow this order and therefore has no qualms about breaking the law to achieve its end. Throughout our nation's history, law has been anchored in reasonable and ancient foundations that date back centuries before our independence. This has provided the basis for debate and consensus needed for an ordered society. However, issues like abortion, gun control, and transgender rights have now broken these foundations and imposed new alien rules. Judicial activism has stretched the boundaries of this debate. Law has come to reflect those who interpret it. Decisions like Roe v. Wade have stained and disgraced the judiciary by taking away legal protection to the most vulnerable members of society, the unborn. Law that seemed so stable has now descended into chaos. The new phase in legal decadence is extending to more coercive measures that force people to do that which they cannot in conscience accept. The latest flashpoint is in Virginia, where liberal politicians made campaign promises to enact stricter gun control laws. Many Virginians feel threatened and are protesting. A constitutional crisis over Second Amendment rights has ensued. Ninety-one of the Commonwealth's 96 counties have declared themselves sanctuary counties where local law enforcement declare that they will not enforce new laws they deem to be unjust and unconstitutional. These Virginians are not alone. The Second Amendment sanctuary movement appears to have strong support in 31 states. In parallel, anti-abortion Americans are building, quote, sanctuary cities for the unborn, unquote. While in its turn on the political left, the illegal immigration sanctuary movement finds support in some 21 states. In challenging unjust laws, many conservatives are unsure how to justify their positions in the face of a legal system they have always revered. They feel caught on the horns of a dilemma. Some are tempted by the slogans circulating among them that when laws seem unjust, it is time for a revolution. 
Addressing the dilemma is crucial for conservatives. The left, as is known, loses no sleep over anarchical overtones. The dilemma opens a Pandora's box that does more than oppose bad laws. It throws all civil authority into question. Some local governments believe they might "quote unquote" nullify or declare void the oppressive actions of higher governing bodies. Some take this one step further by anarchically declaring that individual citizens are entitled to nullify any laws they deem unjust. Such reasoning turns the law into a mere opinion, opening the way for all law to be undermined. Each person potentially becomes a separate law unto self. If all law is based on opinion, then no single person's judgment is any more valid than another's. Might easily becomes right in such a situation. This is anarchy. For a long time, constitutional protections were strong enough to safeguard the rights of citizens, even those unborn. However. The progressive erosion of legal concepts has now led to laws that defy the norms of right reason, which law should reflect. Law now evolves to suit human passions, not reality. New "quote-unquote" rights are found in its dark penumbras and ambiguities. Morality is discarded in favor of liberating aberrations, masquerading as freedoms. Challenging such a distorted notion of law on its own terms is futile. We cannot expect to win using the same mechanisms as the opposition. If legal relativism is accepted, there can be no certainties, including our own. When positive law alone rules, there are no guiding principles that can establish immutable safeguards that will uphold citizen rights. Our present state of legal confusion will only become worse, since it will enshrine chaos instead of justice into our judicial system. The only way out of our constitutional crisis is to return to the higher law tradition upon which our legal system is based. We can no longer live upon the remnants of this tradition that still manage to maintain some order in society. The higher law tradition is found in our common law that reaches back over nine hundred years. It is based on human nature and not the fickle will of individuals. Such law is not defined by might or partisan politics, but immutable principles. What made our law so binding and unchanging was the fact that a sacred trust bound it to a higher law. It was conceived in the conviction that the source of all law, in all its forms, was God and His eternal law. That is not to say that law was part of religion or its practice. It merely affirms that God placed in everyone an objective moral compass called natural law that makes social order possible. Its principles are the same for all peoples, places, and times, although its concrete expressions might vary. Social harmony is the result when people follow natural law. Under natural law, 
Evils such as killing, lying, and stealing are universally recognized as wrong because they are contrary to human nature. Proof of the universal character of natural law can be found in Cicero's expressions of, quote, natural law, inborn, or unwritten law, unquote. Indeed, St. Paul says everyone naturally knows this law since it is written upon our hearts. See Romans chapter 2, verse 15. It can be perceived in society by unaided reason, although it is well summarized in the Ten Commandments. American law's attachment to a higher law dates back before independence, as can be seen in this 1765 reference from the renowned English jurist Sir William Blackstone. Quote, this law of nature, being coeval with mankind and dictated by God himself, is of course superior in obligation to any other. It is binding over all the globe, in all countries, and at all times. No human laws are of any validity if contrary to this, and such of them as are valid derive all their force and all their authority, mediately or immediately, from this original." It is only this higher law tradition that can explain America's past order and stability, a rebuke to its present descent into legal chaos. Only when all were bound together in an objective legal order can there be ample protection against injustice. Indeed, unjust law can be denounced because there is a standard upon which law might be judged. By appealing to a higher law, anyone can claim the right of opposition to unjust laws or edicts. Moreover, both those who govern and are governed are equally subject to this higher order and can appeal to its precepts. Institutions like communities and churches, likewise, can also serve as voices of protest against government injustice. Under natural law criteria, the maxim, unjust law is not law, lex injusta non es lex, can be determined. Natural law comes to be regarded as universally obligatory and binding in conscience. Natural law keeps law from becoming a matter of opinions, passions, or might. Indeed, the internal voice of natural law compels countless Americans to affirm that procured abortion is unjust and that abortion law is neither settled nor is it law. It violates the most elementary notion of natural law against the taking of innocent human life. In this present juncture, we should appeal to our strong higher law tradition that still is found embedded in so many documents and laws of our legal system. We should reject modern, sentimental, or evolving notions of law that give us no means to resist bad law. However, What makes this course difficult is that modern law has largely abandoned the natural law tradition in favor of positive law alternatives that accommodate the moral relativism of our days. Materialistic notions of society, for example, have reduced law to guidelines determined by the evolution of social forces. 
It deals with nothing metaphysical and excludes the idea of immortal souls. Such modern notions of law are now collapsing, and there are no systems to replace them that correspond to our human nature. This collapse is what makes the reappearance of natural law theory so appealing to postmodern society. We need certainties, and the mark of natural law always returns to the heart and conscience of those who seek justice. In the coming debates over the nation's future, this return to natural law is the most secure way to fight against the legal chaos that has destroyed the rule of law. We must return to natural law to give our position force and impact. Thus, in the battle against unjust gun laws or procured abortion, for example, it is not enough to present the issue as a matter of personal choice that is being denied. Instead, we must explore natural law notions of self-defense, private property, or even national sovereignty. These crucial issues encompass the common good and make our case compelling and forceful. This law will direct us to God, who made both us and the natural law. Returning to our natural law tradition is the way out of the chaos that threatens to engulf us. This is the end of appealing to a higher law is the only way out of our constitutional crisis. Many traditionalists thought that a case coming out of Louisiana might point the way towards an eventual repeal of the disastrous 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. Instead of the hoped-for victory, pro-lifers once again tasted the bitterness of betrayal. Mr. Horvat explains in, Court decision confirms what we already know. Expect betrayal. This article was originally published on LifeSite News on June 30th, 2020. We cannot say that the brutal Supreme Court June Medical Services v. Russo decision was a surprise to most veteran pro-lifers. The June 29th decision struck down a state's requirement that abortionists have admitting privileges at nearby hospitals for cases of botched abortions. Regulations hoping to prevent the death of women from abortion complications were seen as an undue burden on women who seek abortions. The decision confirms what we already know about our judiciary. The killing of babies has priority over the lives of the pre-born and their mothers. Such has been the consistent message since 1973. Activists may have hoped that the justices might have conceded in this minor point, since it involved the most elementary safety measures. What made this ruling particularly painful was that the swing vote in the 5-4 decision came from the supposedly conservative Chief Justice John Roberts. However, Pro-lifers no longer expect justice from the Supreme Court. They have learned the hard way that they are much more likely to receive betrayal. Pro-lifers expect betrayal because they know that the Supreme Court does not recognize a supreme law, God's law, upon which all human law is based. The justices prefer to dabble in liberal law theories— legal fantasies, and meaningless technicalities than to acknowledge a divine lawgiver. 
They craft their laws to adjust to an increasingly immoral society that needs such decisions to justify and legitimize its unbridled passions. Nor is justice to be expected from the justices. Even a child knows the most elementary notions of justice found in the moral law. St. Paul says that it is, quote, written on our hearts, unquote. We know that killing babies is wrong and unjust. It does not require a law degree to understand this elementary truth. Yet the justices of the highest court in the land dare not affirm this basic truth. They prefer to betray it and follow the world's sinful ways. Thus, the Supreme Court decision is yet one more betrayal in a treacherous fight that has spanned nearly 50 years. The decision reflects the complicity of those in other fields that also have not the courage to confront a world gone awry. Pro-lifers know well the silence of those in political, business, and religious establishments that join forces with or fail to speak out against the culture of death. This latest decision mocks the countless Americans who now fight against abortion. It exalts iniquity and creates a separate law for those who slaughter the unborn. Some think such a betrayal would discourage the pro-life cause. Far from discouraging pro-lifers, it serves to make them more determined. The constant betrayals over the years have calloused the movement. Pro-lifers have developed thick skins, taking such setbacks in stride and continuing the fight. From the very beginning, the pro-life movement has fought against all the odds. Such was the triumph of the sexual revolution of the 1960s that pro-abortion advocates calculated the pro-life resistance would gradually fade away. Indeed, in the early days, we could count on few legislators, clergy, or leaders to appear on the pro-life stage. Few dared to confront the pressure to conform to liberal norms. With grit and determination, pro-life activists have fought over the decades. Today, the movement has grown and become almost mainstream. Vast sectors of the public question procured abortion. We have transformed the debate from that of quote-unquote women's health to a moral issue. Thus, nearly 50 years after Roe v. Wade, the controversy still rages. This long history of facing the odds allowed the movement to accomplish amazing things. It forced activists to appeal to a higher authority. The pro-life cause has won many important legislative and political battles, but it has run on miracles right from the beginning. Indeed, we did not close 1,707 abortion centers with the quote-unquote normal means by which these things are done. There were no government interventions, clerical excommunications, and few business boycotts to make the way easier. Undaunted, countless pro-life activists on the ground prayed and struggled. They had recourse to the divine lawgiver whom the court justices rejected. The pro-life movement also turned the tables on the court justices who refused to uphold the moral law by condemning abortion. The judges are now the judged.
abortion has become a pivotal issue by which judges are judged. Tens of millions of Americans also used abortion to judge politicians, political parties, movements, and currents. It is a polarizing litmus test that brings back the moral law into society. The issue has proven an immense obstacle to those who want to destroy all legal restraints and throw our nation into ruin and anarchy. The abortion fight will continue despite the betrayals. To the degree that human solutions appear less likely, the more we must look to supernatural solutions to aid us in this moral fight for America's soul. The latest ruling confirms what we already know. Expect setbacks and betrayals, but God always triumphs in the end. This is the end of Court Decision Confirms What We Already Know. Expect betrayal. The betrayal of conservative justices shows conclusively that the only way to contain a runaway court is by appealing to the once-dominant idea of natural law. Mr. Horvath explains the idea in Natural Law Judges Are the Only Way to Save the Judiciary. This article was originally published on LifeSite News on June 23, 2020. One reason conservatives give major importance to elections is that they know the selection of judges can impact law for decades. Thus, when President Trump selected two Supreme Court justices, many hoped that the court would shift to the right. The June 15th Bostock v. Clayton County, Georgia decision dashed these hopes. What legislators could not obtain in the halls of Congress, the conservative-dominated court imposed on the American people. The 6-3 court decision extended workplace protections to include sexual orientation and transsexual quote-unquote identity. It arbitrarily inserted these categories into Title VII of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Thus, it transforms sinful behavior into a civil right protected by law and imposes second-class citizenship on those whose religious beliefs run contrary. What made matters worse is that conservative Justice Neil Gorsuch wrote the majority opinion that gave the LGBT lobby its victory. Bush nominee Chief Justice John Roberts also voted with the majority in the now infamous ruling. Even the feared Justice Brett Kavanaugh approved the merits of the move, but said Congress should have made the decision. No dissenting judge questioned the right or wrong of the matter. Their dissent only criticized judicial overreach. From a moral perspective, the decision was 9-0. to zero. Thus, many are asking what went wrong with the process by which judges considered solid on major conservative issues suddenly broke ranks and voted with the liberals. Others wonder how judicial candidates vetted by conservative groups like the Federalist Society could end up reading into the Constitution and American law things that were never there. The decision makes clear that a complete change of judicial perspective is urgently needed. The reason why conservative judges have failed is that they have adopted defective schools of interpretation. Their role should be to apply the immutable principles of the law to the changing concrete circumstances of the day. However, modern judges interpret the law by other means. 
Some take a constitutionalist approach to American law, based on a strict reading of the Constitution. Originalist and textualist judges interpret the law according to what they consider was the original intent of the founders or legislators. While these and other approaches do tend to conserve some traditions, they are not anchored to an objective moral law, but only in documents, opinions, and intentions. Judges come to believe that the law finds its origin in their opinions and speculations about these documents, not unchangeable norms of justice. The conservative judges must also confront the liberal conception of values-free law. American law is influenced by Enlightenment thought that tends to turn the legal order into systems of value-neutral contracts. These are supposed to work mechanically to keep society in order. Within this amoral framework, a liberal judiciary is free to imagine its own legal orders based on the distorted visions of freedom that now allow people to create their own realities. Court decisions then provide the tyranny to impose these fantasies upon the whole population. When the law has no firm moral anchor, anything is possible including granting privileged, protected status to immoral gender ideology. If this notion is not changed, important decisions will always be 9 to 0. At least, the disastrous decision makes clear the only path to victory. The only alternative is to return to America's higher law tradition, anchored in natural law norms that do not change. America was founded on a higher law tradition that reaches back to the Ten Commandments, which summarizes natural law. This perspective holds that the source of all law, whether customary, common, Roman, or statutory, is God and His eternal law. Whether a person believes in God is immaterial— since this law is found in the nature of things, not in a sacred text. It was known by ancient peoples. Its universal character can be seen in Cicero, for example, who used the terms eternal law, moral law, or natural law to describe an objective moral compass that makes social order possible. This natural law is the same for all peoples, places, and times, although its applications vary. It can be perceived in society by unaided reason. St. Paul says it is written on the hearts of all, Christian or pagan. See Romans chapter 2, verse 15. The American legal system inherited a strong higher law tradition from English common law. Thus, a proposed change to a higher law is not an innovation, but a return to what once existed. It is not an invention like those being imposed as law, as seen in the Bostock decision. Leftist ideologues are constantly proposing new legal changes based on socialist, ecological, and sexual agendas. History has shown how proposals like these run counter to human nature— and result in socio-political disasters like communism and Nazism. A natural law perspective comes from a proven order well-suited to human nature. 
It is not imposed, but relies on those natural regulating institutions inside society that always emerge when individuals resolve to unite in pursuit of the common good. Unlike the left's ideologies, it cannot be regulated, stimulated, or legislated into existence. It is rooted in the social institutions of family, community, and faith. And although it applies to everyone, the Church is its best and most secure guardian. The Bostock decision makes it clear that the only way to save the judiciary is through correctly oriented natural law judges. Present judges need to be informed by natural law. This involves returning America to whence she came. There needs to be a moral compass to counter the immoral one that now dominates and distorts all law and leads the country to anarchy and ruin. This concludes Disorder in the Court. Thank you so much for listening. In times of great confusion, Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of clarity. We hope that this podcast fulfills that end. The prayers of our listeners are especially appreciated. To read these or to find related articles, please visit our websites at www.tfp.org and www.returntoorder.org. If you have benefited from this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. In that way, you can help Return to Order be more effective. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2020 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.